Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. This time, I'm asking Eric Goldstein. And at Colonial Williamsburg, he is curator of mechanical arts and numismatics. We've talked before about your job, and today I'm interested in a new exhibit at the DeWitt Wallace Decorative Arts Museum that is called Pounds, Pence, and Pistorines, Coins and Currency in Colonial America. Uh, can't stand it. What is a pistorine? Pistorine is a very important coin. It's not a very rare or a very valuable coin, but it's important because they were shipped to the American colonies in huge quantities in the 18th century. And because of what archaeologists have found within Williamsburg, I can pretty much state with some certainty that the pistorine was the most common silver coin circulating in Revolutionary War period, Virginia. Okay, let's go to pounds and pence. Pounds and pence are a little bit more simple. While a pistorine is a, a nickname for a particular coin, a pound is really money of account, and a pence is also money of account, kind of like dollars and cents. Uh, the British equivalent during the 18th century. When did dollars and cents actually replace pounds and pistorines and pence and, and all those what we would consider now uh, foreign currents, currencies? That's kind of a trick question. Uh, uh, dollars and cents were first officially struck by the United States government starting in 1793, but foreign coins were legal tender in this country up until 1857. So it was fairly common to get all sorts of pocket change for your daily transactions on uh, probably through the Civil War just because the government said, that's it, no longer are we taking foreign coins in our daily transactions. I'm sure they continued to circulate. I didn't know that. That's, so there wasn't a day when everybody said, get rid of the pounds and pence and pistorines and only use dollars and cents. It's just they sort of, everything worked. It didn't matter, which is one of the basic... Uh, ideas of this exhibit. In the 18th century, nobody cared whose picture was on a coin, whether it was round, whether it was pretty, whether it was ugly. If it was a, the correct amount of good silver or good gold or good copper, they took it. So it was really a, the bullion that mattered, the intrinsic value of the metal contained within the coin that dictated what it was worth, not the denomination assigned to it or the picture of the king on the obverse or whatever was on the reverse for that matter. Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, boy, talk about being weighed down with, with coins and currency. You really were in those days. If you were lucky, yeah. <laughs> it's better to have a pocket full of coins than none at all. Uh, in this exhibit, what is, uh, I don't want to say the most valuable, but the rarest of the coins? One of the, the highlights of the collection is the Virginia shilling. It's one of only five known examples. And it's a, a piece that's particularly exciting for me because it was number one on my want list. And we uh, acquired it about almost two years ago. It'll be two years in uh, January. And uh, the reason this coin is special is because it's the only silver piece struck by Britain for use in a particular British colony. Uh, Virginia had their own coins made, uh, the half pennies made in Britain in 1773, and the next year these few silver shillings were produced, I think as prototypes for silver coinage that was intended to be shipped to Virginia. Uh, obviously, the political climate was changing rapidly for the worse, and uh, apparently the program was scrapped. Yeah. But we do have one of these 
shillings, and I'm very pr uh, proud to ha and happy to have it out there. So that's, it's one of five. That, it's one of five now. Yeah. Uh, uh, I suppose I shouldn't ask, but who has the other four? The other four. One is in an institution out in St. Louis. I believe the Smithsonian may have one. I can't think of the others. Uh, I know four of the five are now in institutional collections, and there's one out there in private hands, mm -hmm. which is nowhere near as nice as Colonial Williamsburg's example. So if you wanted to see the Virginia Schilling piece, you, you have to come here. You're going to have to come here. That's, that is really quite rare. It's uh, one of five. I, was, I don't know much about coins. I know a little bit about stamps. And the rarer they are, the more valuable they are. Do you have any idea... That's not necessarily so. Um, it, it depends on what's value. To me, the coin that you could probably duplicate with an eBay purchase that was found in Peyton Randolph's backyard in an archaeological context that dates to the 1780s is far more valuable than a lot of other things that might cost a lot more money. So the, the intrinsic value versus the, uh, you know, the historic value are, are two things that, um, to me, have nothing to do with each other. The coins that are being presented in this exhibit are of historical interest straight through. We completely ignore their uh, commercial value. That's, uh, that's one take on it. I suppose for Colonial Williamsburg that would be a sensible approach. But for collectors, I rather think the other approach, uh, what's worth more money? Well, it depends on why you collect. Personally, I think it, uh, a collection of the common everyday coins that were circulating in 18th century America is way more interesting than the best examples of some of the strangest coins you could get your hands on. Because just because a coin is rare today doesn't mean it had uh, much value in the 18th century. We could be dealing with uh, Edsel's. <laughs> so, uh, like I say, that's why the Pistarine is in the title of this exhibit. It's not a rare coin, and it's not even an expensive coin, but it's an important coin understanding the way the marketplace worked in the period. So I've, I've chosen it as a, a flagship piece to represent money in 18th century Virginia. How are the coins displayed in, in, in your collection? They're displayed in uh, glass cases. They're mounted on cloth-covered boards. Uh, they're held with tiny, almost invisible pins that keep them in place, and they're brought as close to the glass as possible so you can really get your nose up close to them without actually being able to touch them. Are they are they labeled so you know what you're They're looking? They're labeled. At? Yep, looking with a, a number of different uh, levels of text. There's a, an introduction to a particular section, uh, which might talk about something as general as coins struck by the Spanish from silver mined in South America and how that was distributed. And the subsections deal with all the different facilities that produced these Spanish colonial coins. And sometimes it gets divided even a little bit further. Okay, let's uh, let's play pretend. I am in Colonial Williamsburg. I am a merchant. I am reasonably well-to-do. What currencies from what country am I likely to run into in my daily business? You've mentioned Spanish. I didn't know there were Spanish coins. Oh, loads. Most of the silver coins, in fact, the Pistarina is a Spanish-made coin. They were struck largely in Madrid and Seville. Um, you're going to run into Virginia paper money, because that was common, but Virginia paper money is really only good in Virginia. Uh, you might find some merchants that might accept it in some of the outlying areas in, in other colonies. 
you're going to find a lot of Spanish silver. Now that can mean silver coins struck in Spain, or it could even mean coins struck in uh, their colonial mints like Mexico City, Potosi in Bolivia, or Lima, Peru. You might find some French coins. You're certainly going to find a few English coins, especially copper coins. And occasionally uh, a wild card is thrown in there. You'll see some Dutch coins. We've even found a coin from uh, Ile du Vent, uh, the French colonies in the Windward Islands. So almost anything can turn up. Uh, and if it turns up, it's money. It turns up, it's money. If it's good silver and it's, it's, it's the right quantity for what you believe it to be, then you take it. Okay, so it's silver or gold, but no alloys? They're all alloyed. Uh, gold coins can be pure. Silver coins always have a, a little alloy in them. Mm -hmm. uh, pistarines are about... Pistarines are kind of uh, interesting because they're, they're a debased silver. They're only about 0 0.750 fineness. So they're a little bit less than your average coin silver, which is around sterling. Mm -hmm. How long did you work on the exhibit to get it the way you wanted it? Years. Years. <sighs> it, it's such a big scope, and it, it's a little bit challenging to take a very, very broad topic and represent all the different interesting aspects of it and then make it presentable in a fashion that people will be interested in it and present the coins themselves in a way that they can be seen because they're all tiny. I think the largest coin in the exhibit is maybe two and a half inches across. Hmm. I, somehow I, I have imagined them being bigger. I don't know why, but I just did. Uh, but... They are what they are. They are what they are. Yeah, uh, tiny little gems. You got them at the museum. You going to put anything on online for people who can't get to the museum? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the online coin exhibit with a very similar title isn't as expansive in in the numbers of pieces. We have hundreds and hundreds of pieces in the real exhibit. The online exhibit only covers uh, sixty some odd pieces, but you get the same sort of cross section and the same sort of stories that go along with these coins. And again, you have the rare pieces that are uh, you know, sort of internationally recognized numismatic treasures, and you also have the common pieces, again, that represent the, the real story of what money was like in America. And on the online exhibit, you'll be able to see you know, big, beautiful pictures of these things. So you can, in many ways, get closer to them than you can in, in the flesh. Because you, uh, in the flesh, you are limited to whatever size they are. To, to their real size and how, how tightly you can press your nose against the glass. Yeah, I know enough about photography to know you can enlarge it if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had to send somebody in to your exhibit, what would you tell them to look at? I would first tell them to read the introductory panels. Because if you go into an exhibit like this and you just jump right into it, it might be a little confusing and overwhelming because, because of its scope. But the introductory panels really prep you. So you go into it with the mindset of knowing a little bit about what the economy was based on back then. You know, the, the bullion system, the value of the gold or the silver within the coin being the most important thing to your average colonial person. And when you have that in mind and you kind of take it a little bit further by pushing the notion out of your mind that we didn't have our own coins. We had to rely on the coins that were being produced by you know, foreign nations, European nations and their colonies in the New World to really float our tiny little economies happening in the marketplaces. So when you get that in your head, you can really go through it and it becomes a lot more clear. I've been talking to, to uh, some tradespeople in Williamsburg, and they say one of the most common 
questions they get is uh, a pair of shoes, for instance. How much would that cost now? And they say it's almost impossible. So if I ask you how much are the coins, what would their monetary value be today between a merchant and a customer? Can you say? You really can't. Uh, a lot of the coins in the exhibit have modern descendants. There were coins in the 18th century called the dollar. And uh, the pistarine is the rough equivalent of our quarter dollar. It's, a, it's an ancestor to our quarter dollar. But they're not worth the same. The pistarine in the 18th century had far more buying power. It's further complicated by the notion that paper money is worth less than the actual silver or gold piece. A $20 continental currency note is not worth 20 silver dollars. It's worth a heck of a lot less. And how much less that is depends on where uh, in the Revolutionary War you are. There's always uh, um, inflation and deflation with this, with this money. So it's problematic there. And then you have the different exchange rates in the different colonies. Uh, a pistarine in Virginia in 1775 is worth uh, one shilling, three pence, but it's worth a little bit more in New York City. So it's almost impossible to do this. I, I like when you when when it, people explain that you things then are not the same as things now. You can't say that a pair of shoes cost one pound five shillings or whatever it is because one pound five shillings may be worth a lot more. Yeah, and if you're paying in paper, you may have to fork over a few more bills. Which is why the United States Mint uh, was, was founded in 1792, 1793 to produce a standard coin that would be acceptable in, in all the different states and they to finally, eliminate these problems. Finally got it done sometime after the Civil War. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, re I still remember in my lifetime uh, the United States went off the gold and silver certificates and they began printing federal notes. The truth of the matter is, are not backed up by anything. Nope. I like that. But they get away with it. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.